If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 10. So we'll, we'll read the scripture text and then we'll um, have a prayer um, specifically for Randy and the family at this time. So we'll read the passage so you can follow along if you want to turn there. Thanks, Brian. So this is the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 10, starting in verse 32. They were on their way up to Jerusalem, with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them that was what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. They replied, Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Let's go to God in prayer with heavy hearts. And we mourn with those who mourn. We want to pray for Randy Russell and his family. So let's pray. God, sometimes we don't know how to pray. But we do know and we are confident that we can come into your throne of grace, into your presence, with any request, with any concern, with any attitude and like James wrote the prayer of faith that's how we come with heavy hearts with minds maybe somewhere else thinking about the Russell family God, all I can pray right now is Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.
because we know you're listening. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The, I don't need a box. I got this. So, we come today to chapter 10, verse 32 to 45. Do you remember the last time you played Follow the Leader? Does anybody? Do you remember the last time you played Follow the Leader? I, I can't remember the last time I played. You do? Jackson? What happened the last time you played? Were you the leader or were somebody else? You were? And how did you, what did you do? You marched around the room. So Jackson played follow leader recently. When was this? Three years ago? And you remember it. Oh, man. I can't even remember what happened yesterday. But Jackson played follow the leader three years ago, and he was the leader and just marched around the room. And what did the people behind you do? The same thing, right? You say, let's play follow the leader, and then you've got to decide who the leader is because everybody wants to be the leader, right? So they get in front, and you just got to do whatever the leader does. You go where the leader goes, right? If I said, we're going to play follow the leader now, and I'm the leader, and everybody has to stand up and get in line, and I can you have to follow me wherever I do, wherever I go. I can go in between pews. I can dance. I can wave my arms. I can wave, I can uh, do a somersault, and then you have to do a somersault. You have to attempt to do whatever. Bill's like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> but you would have to attempt somehow how to do it. You would just fake like you did. I did it, okay? And that's what, as a, if I played follow lead, I would do that sometimes. They would do some crazy movement. I would just be like, I did it, okay? But that's how you play follow the leader. And in this text, we don't have the game, but we have a scenario where there's a leader and they have to follow the leader. And you're going to see that. So if you have, if you, want, if you take notes, if this works, I don't know if it's working. Maybe we have to do something. What do we got to do, Karen? Oh. see if it works now or is it a new th oh you got to put that in somewhere else <laughs> technology if you if you take notes you can get your pencil ready and write this this is the main point of the text is it going to work now maybe this is where it's uh, you pray that lord help us Help my unbelief with this technology. It is turned on. Or I'll just say, Brian, change the slide for me. We got batteries in there. I hope you're getting your pencil ready. That's There we go. I got it. I think I got it. Maybe. Nope. I thought it turned for a second. But there's the main point. Okay, we got one slide. 
Jesus leads the way as an example to follow, and it led him to give his life as a ransom for many. That's how I see this text, this section of it. Is it going to work now? There we go. You have a leader, right? Jesus. And here's where we go. Look at verse 32 again. And we're going to go to verse... This is our outline here. So you're going to have a what set the scene in place. Then you're going to go to what the scene will be in the future. And then what the scene is all about. So there's a setting in place of the scene that's coming. There's a scene, what it's going to be like. And then what it's all about. And what the teaching of it. So that's our outline. That's where we're going, okay? So look at verse 32. This is what set the scene in place. They were on their way up to Jerusalem. Everybody say Jerusalem. Okay? That is the destination. That's the radar. That's on the radar. If you remember, you have, you know, back in the day, you would say, we're going to take a trip. Our destination is whatever. That's where we're going. That's our final destination. That's where we're going to end up. As a kid, we went to Six Flags Great America. My parents, that we knew where we were going. That's the final destination of our drive, and then we spend the whole day there. So when you f- see that destination, you're like, yes, that's where we're going. We couldn't see it till like the last corner. It was always exciting. But Jesus and the disciples and the crowd following, they're on their way to Jerusalem. That's the destination. That's where they're heading. And the most, I love this. I don't know what, this is what the NIV says. With Jesus leading the way. I love it. There's a destination in mind. Jerusalem is the destination. And Jesus is out front leading the way. And everybody else is at the back following the leader, Jesus. And if you go back to chapter 8, okay, chapter 8, you remember, Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say Elijah, others the prophets, okay, one of the prophets. And then Jesus looks at him and says, I don't want to know what other people say, okay, I know what they say, they've answered correctly, but I want to know what do you think, disciples? Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. And then Jesus warned them not to tell anybody. And then that, after that, Jesus predicts his death the first time. He says, this is what's going to happen to the Son of Man. And then in chapter 10, not chapter 10, sorry, chapter 9, After Jesus heals the boy possessed by an impure spirit, they left that place, they passed through Galilee, and what does Jesus do a second time? He teaches them about the upcoming suffering and death of the Son of Man Himself. And now here, it's the what time now? What are we up to? The third time. Jesus has to say it again. So this is our third time that Jesus says that we've learned about. He's teaching the disciples almost every time after his prediction. He says, you got to be servants to all. you got to deny yourselves. Take up your cross. Follow Jesus. These are all his teachings that he's teaching, these disciples. Jesus is leading the way, though. They're on their way to Jerusalem, and Jesus is the leader, and you have to follow the leader. If we're going to play the follow the leader game, 
I think Jesus would be the best leader, right? Do you agree? I'd rather follow Jesus than anybody else. Okay? Even if he's taken me through whatever, I want to follow Jesus. And Jesus is leading the way. And they're on their way to Jerusalem. And what's going to happen at Jerusalem? J.D. just read a prediction of it, right? He's going to suffer and die, spit on, flogged, and we beaten. Everything is going to happen. And he's predicting it. Question for you. Who are you following? Are we following the leader, the head of the church, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, or are we following something else? Who are we following? Or what are we following? Okay. And if you go to Hebrews, this is one of my favorite passages, but it says, we fix our eyes on Jesus. The author, the pioneer, and perfecter of our faith. We don't fix our eyes on anything else. Anyone else. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the Messiah. Remember, the gospel according to Mark, how does it start out? The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. That's who we read about in the book of Mark. That's who we're studying. Who is Jesus? That's the question we've got to answer, right? So they're following Jesus. They're probably, hopefully, fixing their eyes on Jesus. And if He turns right, they're going to turn right. If He turns left, they're turning left. If they're going straight, they're keeping straight. If Jesus sits down, they're probably sitting down. They don't want to pass Him up. If He says, how you doing? They're asking each other how they're doing, right? They're following Jesus, I hope, and nothing else. They're not getting distracted. They're on their way up to Jerusalem. And... The scene is not just Jesus, and we see that. We have Jesus the leader, but there's people following Jesus. You have the disciples, and what are they? Look at what they are. The disciples were astonished. They're just surprised. They're like amazed at Jesus. They're amazed at this situation. But then, what does it say right after that? While those who followed were afraid. They were afraid. They were struck with fear to be seized with alarm of those who fear harm or injury. In the Greek word, you'll know this word, it's phobio. You've heard of that word before, right? Phobio. They're afraid. They're afraid of something's going to happen, like harmful's going to happen. But they're still following, okay? Even though they're scared. They're, they have phobio. Jesus leads the way. You can write that down if you want. Just write, Jesus leads the way, exclamation point. And then you have what the scene is going to be. What the scene will be. Jesus, okay, he's just taught, okay, about his suffering, right? He's taught about his suffering, just as he did before, okay? And look at this. This is his third time, remember. Now you have a crowd following, but then he says, he took the 12, how many? 30, 40, how many? 12. He took 12, the 12, aside and told them what was going to happen to him. So he takes his 
pupils. Remember, he's a rabbi. He, they're following their teacher, Jesus. So he takes them aside and is going to teach them something for the third time now. He's, the Son of Man is going to be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him, kill him. Three days he's going to rise again. He takes them aside and teaches them for the third time to the twelve. You think after three times they would understand, right? They still don't understand. Do you get things taught to you three, four, five, six, seven times and you still don't understand? Anybody? You know, like I said last week, I try to get better at golf and I can watch training video after training video and then go out and do it and it doesn't work. I'll watch it again, it doesn't work. Three, five, hundred times I still don't know how to do it. But Jesus, this is the third time and the disciples still don't understand. They don't understand what Jesus is telling them. How about us today? Here's a couple questions again. Have we fully understood all that Jesus taught? You don't have to answer out loud. Do we understand everything we read and study in the Holy Scriptures? Again, you don't have to answer out loud. What do we do when we don't understand something? Maybe that's a tough question to ask. You may not even have thought of that before. But what do we do when we don't understand something, especially from the Bible? Do we just say, I'll get it next year. I'll get it tomorrow. And then the next day you're like, I'll get it tomorrow. Then tomorrow, then tomorrow. It's always tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Or do we take the time to try to understand it? Jesus taught his disciples what's going to happen to himself and what the scene is going to be like in Jerusalem. He says that. We're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man's going to die. And then three days later rise. And they're like, I don't understand because look at the next scene, okay? What the scene is all about. So we get the scene, what it's going to be like. And now this specific scene, what it's all about, he has to do some other teaching because they don't understand. Look at James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Earlier, remember, they're the sons of thunder. And they say, hey, teacher, Jesus, teacher, can you do whatever we want? Whatever we ask, can you do it? And Jesus Ask them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, let one of us sit at your right and one on your left, in your glory. And Jesus says, what? What does Jesus say to him? You don't know what you are asking. James and John, they come to Jesus and they have a request that seems just outrageous to me. They say, can one sit on your right, one sit on your left, in your glory? What do you think, Jesus? When we go to God in prayer, or asking a request, do we know what we are asking God to do? Do we pray for the right things in the right manner, or do we just say, God, give me this, please? Or please do this. 
I deserve it, God. But they're coming to Jesus and saying, we want to sit at your right and left. Just the two of them. One writer pointed this out, and maybe he has a point. I agree with him, but maybe he has a point here. One writer, teacher, said this, John eventually did get what Jesus meant when Jesus said, you don't know what you are asking. Go with me to 1 John, okay? And this is, a writer pointed this out. So, But John wrote this letter to believers, and he wrote this in 1 John chapter 5. If you hit Revelation, you went too far, okay? 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse 13. So, he says this, John wrote this. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. Ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of Him. Did you catch the phrase that John, one writer that he said, John maybe eventually met, understood what Jesus meant when he said, you don't know what you're asking for. Did you catch the phrase when he says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God if we ask anything according to His will. According to God's will. We must ask God for things that are according to His will. If we do, what will happen? God will hear us. If we're only coming to God saying, do this, do this, do this, and it has nothing to do with God's will, is it going to happen? I'm going to guarantee, not guarantee, but I'm going to guess, probably not. You may be asking, 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 but if it's not according to God's will, it may not happen. But if we ask according to God's will, John writes for us in his letter, God hears us. He's there for us. James and John make this request that just is outrageous. And you see that because verse 41 in the Gospel according to Mark, it says, When the ten heard this, they were indignant. Remember that word? It was Jesus became indignant because the little children were being um, held back from coming to him. He was angry at them. And this is the same word, angry. They're like, what are you doing, James and John? What are they doing? They're trying to get at the right hand and left hand of Jesus. They're mad at him. They're angry with James and John. But then, I believe it's very quickly. I want to say quickly. Because I think Jesus does things immediately. Okay? He says, hey, 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 hey. Twelve, come back together. Get around me. So he's calling them, verse 42, together. And he said, so he begins to teach them. Okay? He gathers them in order to teach them. I think that's a good example to follow. If you want to teach a crowd something, you call them together first. That's a good rule of thumb. Say you have five people and you're like, come, 
for a teaching moment, then you teach them. Then they can disperse. But you've got to call people together first if you're going to do a teaching moment. So Jesus calls them, and he says, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And then he keeps going with this, who's the greatest, right? Jesus teaches on the greatest among you. Whoever wants to become great, you must be servant to all. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. That just sounds outrageous too, right? So James and John have this outrageous request. But I think also the disciples are like, Jesus, that is outrageous. What are you talking about? You have to be first? Or you have to be, what? To be first, you've got to be servant to all? What's, what's the deal, Jesus? He's teaching them this teaching moment. Walter Wessel quotes E.P. Gold in his commentary, and this is what he said. Here is the paradox of the kingdom of God. Instead of being lords, its great ones become servants, and its chiefs the bondservants of all. That's the paradox of the kingdom of God. To be first, you've got to be servant of all. To be the greatest, well, you've got to be at the bottom. And Jesus finishes his teaching with an example of himself. Verse 45, you see it there. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man did not come to be served. He didn't come into this world and said, Okay, serve me. I'm here. No, he came to serve other people, to minister to other people, to teach other people, to help them. And to give his life a ransom for many. He came to minister to anybody he encountered. That was a piece of his life's mission. People needed to be ministered to, right? They needed to be healed. They needed to be taught. They needed to be served. They needed an example to follow. He came to do just that. But he also came for what reason? To give his life a ransom for many. That's why they're heading to Jerusalem, right? He says, we're on our way to Jerusalem because this is going to happen. Ransom in the Greek is... Lutron. Everybody say that. Lutron. It means to liberate many from the misery and penalty of their sins in the Thayer's Greek lexicon. In the Vines Dictionary, it says, it is used of Christ's gift of Himself as a ransom for many. He gave His life for many. He gave His life not just for a few, not just for the twelve, but for the many. He came to save His people from their sins. That was His mission. It takes Him three times teaching His disciples to say, hey, we're going to Jerusalem. This is going to happen. And you've got to expect it. And then this outrageous request and James and John don't understand and then the ten are mad and then Jesus is like, hold on, come back. To be great, you have to be servant. To be first, you've got to be last, basically. And then he gives that example of himself. So you got, Jesus is the leader, right? And they're following leaders. So what can we take away today? 
There's four things I want you to take away from this passage. Follow Jesus by being a servant to all. Don't think, I'm the greatest. Everybody's going to serve me. Don't think that way. Follow Jesus' example and you're the servant to everybody. Be the last one to all. And then takeaway number two. Pray according to God's will. Sometimes we don't. We don't. If I'm honest with myself, there's some prayers I'm like, why did I just pray that? That is not according to God's will. But we need to pray according to God's will. Number three, believe that Jesus liberates people from the misery and penalty of their sins. I mean, actually believe that. Because when we believe that, people are being liberated from this sin penalty, this sin-cursed world that they call on Jesus as Messiah. If we really believe that, we're going to do number four. Proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah. And everybody say the last phrase. Fish for people. Remember that in chapter one or two, I forget, but when Jesus calls Peter, James, or Peter and Andrew and James and John, he's probably saying, hey, come follow me. I'm going to train you to fish for people. You're fishing for fish, but I want you to fish for people. So if we believe number three, if we really believe that Jesus is the liberator of sin, of the many people that are out there or in here, I don't know. There could be one tonight that's like, oh, I'm, I'm lost. I need Jesus. That's why we proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah. We fish for people because their souls are at stake, right? If you look at the person next to you, I want you to think that their soul may be at stake. Do they know Jesus? If they don't, let's keep proclaiming Jesus is the Messiah. And the main point again, Jesus leads the way as an example to follow. It led him to give his life a ransom for many. In the Gospel According to Mark series, we've been asking the question or keeping the question in mind, who is Jesus? And I hope you have. Who is Jesus? How do we wrap it in our minds? How do we answer that question? Remember, we can't answer for anybody else. You have to answer for yourself. We can't answer for you, and you can't answer for somebody. So how do you answer that question? Who is Jesus to you and to us personally? And Paul McReynolds, the commentator, wrote this. It's such beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And all the songs we sang were going along with this. And I was singing a song this morning that went along with this because, listen to this. Paul McReynolds says, There is no good news if we stop at Jesus' betrayal and death, even His vicarious death for us. The good news must include the announcement that after three days, He arose. We don't serve a dead Savior. He's not in the grave. He's arose. The good news doesn't stop at the betrayal and death. You can't stop there. We celebrate it. We remember it. Yes. The death of Christ saves people from sin. But if you stop there, if He's still in the grave, what happens? There's nothing after that. He arose. The good news has to include everything that Jesus talks about. He has to be handed over to the the Gentiles. They got to 
spit on him. They got to flog him. They got to mock him. Then they got to kill him on a cross. Then they got to take him off the cross. And then they got to bury Jesus. And then they got to put the stone in front of the grave. And then the grave gets, the stone gets rolled away and Jesus isn't there anymore. And then the, you know, the rulers are like, well, we got to cover this up. We got to lie about it. The disciples stole the body. But no. Jesus arose from the grave. So if we proclaim Jesus to be the liberator of our sins, you tell somebody, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, He was buried in the grave three days, and after three days, you know what happened to Jesus? He arose. That's a living Savior. I don't want to serve a dead Savior, do you? Nobody said anything. Do you want to serve or live for a dead Savior? Do you want to believe in a dead Savior? He arose from the grave. Jesus died for the sins of the world. He saves people from their sins. And that is why we call people to repentance of sin. We must recognize our need of a Savior. Believe Jesus as the Savior of the world. We confess Him as Jesus. He's the Messiah. He was buried, yes, but on the third day He rose from the grave after repentance of sin, believing Jesus who He said He was, confessing Him as Lord and Savior, we go to what? Where do we go? I can't reach it. I was going to fling it on us, but where do we go? We walk down into the water, which is the grave, right? And we don't stay underneath, do we? We go in that. Remember, Jesus, He was betrayed. He was flogged. He was beaten. He was led to a cross, right? We, that's why we put that up there, I think. We have a cross to remind us Jesus did die for us. We celebrate. We remember Jesus with the bread and the juice. We drink it every week and we take it every week, right? We remember it. It's good news. But there's no good news if we don't go in there. We buried like Jesus. And we're raised to what? A new life. As long as I preach from this pulpit, I'm going to proclaim Jesus as the Messiah and I'm going to proclaim that if you don't go into the watery grave of baptism, I don't think you have new life. We have to follow Jesus, the example that He followed, and we've got to follow Him, follow Him, follow Him. And when we're raised to a new life, we don't stop there. We just keep living our lives for Jesus. And looking at people in the eye and saying, do you know Jesus? I have to do more of that too. We've got to look at people because we've got to fish for people. I don't know the statistic, statistics, but there's probably a lot of people dying every single minute of every day around the world. So I want to I challenge you with one thing before we, if you need to make a decision, you can, but I want to challenge you with something as a flock, as a congregation, okay? If I ever 
preach from here and I never mention Jesus, 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 you better come up to me afterwards and go, Psh, you didn't say anything about Jesus. And new life in Christ. Can you do that for me? Whether it's it, I mean, whether it's, I'm teaching a Sunday school or whether I'm teaching on, or J.D., you can slap me if I never talk about Jesus in my office, okay? Cheryl, you can do it too. If we don't talk about Jesus, just come up to me and be like, Psh. because what's the good news? Mark chapter 1, right? The good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. If you do not know Jesus as Messiah and you need to do that today, I'm fishing for people. There's going to be excitement. I'm going to be excited. I was walking around here this morning before anybody got in the building and this is the song that I got couple days ago because it came to my mind if you've heard it you heard it but if you haven't now you heard it glorious day this is what it says i was buried beneath my shame who could carry that kind of weight it was my tomb till i met you i was breathing but not alive all my failures i tried to hide it was my tomb till i met you you called my name and I ran out of that grave. Out of the darkness into your glorious day, you called my name and I ran out of that grave. Out of the darkness into your glorious day. Jesus, now your mercy has saved my soul. Now your freedom is all that I know. The old made new. Jesus, when I met you. Have you met Jesus? Because He's the Savior. There's new life in Jesus. Let's pray. These are not my own words, but Alec Peterson wrote this as a prayer. Oh God, help us to be masters of ourselves that we may become the servants of others. In Jesus' name, amen.